Howdy, what's going on? Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. It is heard live every day, by the way, from noon until 3 on WBT Radio in Charlotte. And if you want exclusive content, invitations to events, the weekly live stream, my daily show prep with links, become a patron. Go to thepetecalendarshow.com. This podcast is also supported by North Carolina businesses, so please consider supporting them. Try not to skip through their short ad. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to get every episode for free right to your smartphone or tablet. And thanks so much for your support. Ladies and gentlemen, yes, the the voice of yesterday coming to you live again today. Chad Adams sitting in for Pete Callender here on WBT. Appreciate you being a part of the broadcast as always. News Talk 1110 and 99.3. You would like to get in on the conversation, regardless of the topic, time, whatever the host is discussing. 704-570-1110. I'm sorry, 704-570-1110. And you can be a part of the conversation. I kind of want to begin with some stuff that happened yesterday that there is there is so much stuff today that that we could get into it, it is a it is a red, red, it is a plethora of 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 issues it is a, it is a cornucopia of things we could discuss and we will discuss because it it it's bizarre that some of these are even discussable things like you'll coffee if you're a coffee drinker you're destroying the planet and and it pregnancy is affected by climate change that probably will be something we discuss today. The, uh, the but the funniest one. So, a couple of things. Jack had called yesterday, and his question to me was, "Are you are you in some kind of conservative bubble?" And I'm I'm paraphrasing because he was he was actually respectful. We had a disagreement, and he was referring to this conservative bubble. Now, I don't live in one. I, I live in a very, in fact, a, a very contentious area. Kind of, it's it's polite but contentious down at the coast. But and he talked about that Charlotte was largely liberal, progressive, I guess. But it's odd to me because progressives are not very into progress. They're usually regressives. They're not very progressive. They're very regressive. They, they, or they're kind of sci-fi. They, they want to make the world a place that's really fictional. Uh, it's a very sci-fi Orwellian world. They, they think they're doing good. They have the socialist ideals, but they don't recognize the socialist realities. And I don't mean to be disrespectful to Jack. I think Jack was making a point that a lot of people do get into their own bubble. And Jack, I mean, Jack almost self-admittedly said, well, he's in Charlotte. He's where there is a liberal place. So his his attitude toward that is reflective of Charlottean progressive, regressive values. I mean, they still have the shiny trains that they like down there. So uh, having said that, towns find themselves in bizarre Arguments and 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 it, it's largely a first world problem. We have so many free. Well, it's weird. We 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 have so many freedoms, and then we have so many that have been taken away that we kind of focus on having too much time. So I would say we have uh, the freedom of time, but we're having freedom of property rights uh, erosion of freedoms on the other side, which creates this dystopian where we constantly complain about stuff. We really have less to complain about in some ways while we're giving up the freedoms and undermining the the things that made this country great. Hard work made this country great. Having vision for the future, desire to be better than you were. Those are things that made us great. We were not a country of whiners. We didn't sit around and bitch about the the British Empire. We did something about it. 
We are a country of action. We're not a country that sits around and laments, oh, if only things were better, if only if only people were more fair and more nice and, and they were just better, so this is just so unfair. Could you imagine what the, had, had the founders, had the founding of this country had in place, or excuse me, let me rephrase, we wouldn't have had founders, had the mentality that's in place now been in place at the founding of the country, we would have complained, the British would have crushed us. They would have just laughed at us. If we'd have started instituting DEI at the, at the local level in Boston and New York and Pennsylvania, and we'd have said, oh, no, we need to make sure it's inclusive and we need to ensure, you would have been crushed. There would be no country. In fact, we'd still be a colony of the bread. At worse, we'd probably be socialists because we, we wouldn't, it wouldn't have given rise to the greatest nation on the planet, that same nation that bailed Britain out during World War I and became a superpower and helped crush things in World War II the oppressors. So we might, I mean, by not being regressive back then, it led to great things happening. American exceptionalism, the expansion, free market capitalism, all of that stuff that made, I mean, all the inventions that came with it. I mean, the rise of Hitler would have been very different, wouldn't it? Were there no US of A or just a, a colony of the Brits? It, it Consequence. Now I say that, a long-winded way of saying this. And so I'm coming back to Towns have a lot of time on their hands, and when they do, they tend to focus and major in minor things. It's a line I love to say, majoring in minor things. We find this time in Charlotte does a great deal of majoring in minor things. A lot of towns, when they become progressive, due to the success of the hard work that came before they took power, then they focus on it. Asheville is notorious for it. Asheville got into uh, light ordinances. They wanted to protect the night sky, so they really restricted outdoor lighting on restaurants. They, they constantly do things. They they bought a bunch of electric buses. Four of the five don't even work, and the company they bought them from went bankrupt. Meanwhile, North Carolina is going to invest millions in, in electric school buses. Now, imagine when they run out of fuel, how safe your kids will be, because you can't just come and put a gallon of gasoline when it runs out. But let's go to Asheville. Asheville City Council is continuing their conversation on the downtown restroom project. This is a story. Major Esther Mannheimer said, this is an important conversation, but a costly decision. In, in a presentation at City Council's January 23rd meeting, city staff presented the downtown restroom project initiative to council members. Now think about this. The entire council is focused on a downtown restroom project. I'm going to keep going. In the presentation, it explained how the purpose of the project is to address downtown cleanliness and safety challenges by adding additional restroom access. There was $650,000 approved for the project back in the spring, but for a freestanding restroom that would replace the portable restroom that's been on the corner of College Street and Rankin Avenue. Downtown, portable restaurant, eyesore. A positive, a, posi uh, a positive, the presentation mentioned of the restroom location is that it would be directly located in front of the storefront business and residential building. So, this is a lot to do with Asheville's had problems with homelessness. It's got problems with uh, cleanliness downtown. And now they're focused. Rather than cleaning up those problems, they're just acquiescing to the problems that are only going to make them worse. I've been surprised at the number of times I've had to help either a worker or take the initiative to clean up human excrement off the sidewalk. It's very unpleasant, but I don't have a place at that point to wash my hands. So... The people are using the bathroom. They think this is going to fix their problems, and it won't. You've got a problem. You've got a value system that you have 
continued to support. And now you think that putting a bathroom downtown is going to fix this problem. It's not a lack of bathrooms. It's a lack of values. They're spending $650,000 to deal with AA, not multiple, not a bunch of them. I'm not satisfied yet. Maybe staff's already looked into this, but we haven't had this discussion. They're already put this to bed, and this is the only option. But I would like to know what information before we do this. It's a lot of money. Vice Mayor Sandra Kilgore added that she's concerned about the maintenance and cleanliness, cleanliness and wonders if a freestanding restroom will address this. Just to have a bathroom there, if, we, if we're really still not maintaining it 24 hours, is it really going to do what we want it to do? It's just going to become another eyesore in downtown Asheville. That's the kind of kookiness. <laughs> the stuff that it's, it's laughable because that's their priority. Not solving the homeless problem. Not, you know, cleaning up the streets. No, putting a bath, a, a portable. Well, not really a portable. It's kind of a, a, a movable bathroom, so to speak. All right. Do the current world events have you wondering whether we are teetering on the edge of catastrophe? Are you concerned it's going to reach our shores? Okay. So what are you doing about your concerns? Let me help. Carolina Readiness Supply. At CarolinaReadiness.com, whether you're looking to expand your emergency preparedness supplies or you have no idea where to even begin, Carolina Readiness Supply can help you. Food, water purifiers, tools, first aid kits, instructional materials, camping and hiking supplies even. Because being prepared is just smart. Carolina Readiness Supply has 2,000 square feet of supplies and educational materials that you'll need for any kind of emergency. In Waynesville and always at CarolinaReadiness.com, veteran-owned Carolina Readiness Supply. Will you be ready when the lights go out? Appreciate George keeping things smooth out there. See, the music can set the tone as we come back in from a break. Your guest host, Chad Adams, sitting in for my good friend Pete Callender, who's a little under the weather today. He should return soon. And my excitement and enthusiasm continues unabated. That's just the way I'm wired. At the same time, I'm, I'm constant. People are like, do you get down about all this stuff? I don't. Uh, it is the reality. Life is life is a is largely a struggle. Lar- it's difficult. It's it's often mired in, in horrific situations, uh, regardless of your station in life. No one has it easy. You, they think someone you always think someone else has it easy and you don't know what their struggles may be. So I had a good friend that reached out yesterday after the show and said, you know, you gave Mark Robinson really a hard time. Mark Robinson, the lieutenant governor running for governor. I kind of what I felt like I did was was put into place the realities that all of the candidates must deal with. And Mark Robinson is the presumptive nominee. There's going to be a lot more daggers coming at him than Bill Graham or Dale Falwell. And, and when you look at Josh Stein, Josh Stein, the sitting aspiring governor slash attorney general, AG is AG. He, those, what you're seeing that Bill Graham is doing right now is what's going to happen times 10 when Josh Stein, and it looks like it appears, unless something dramatic happens between now and about a month, March, the first week of March, when the primary in North Carolina takes place, it, the amplification of barbs against Mark Robinson will be. Huge. Now, I did reach out to Mark Robinson's folks today to, to have him on the show. They, they have a scheduling conflict, but he will be glad to come on the show anytime. And, and uh, his folks, I've, I'm talking with him about every week right now. Um, so when you look at all, all of the candidates that are out there in the North Carolina gubernatorial race, Mark Robinson's rise to fame 
it's it's fascinating to see the way people break out into the public view. Robinson largely it was a, a YouTube video. It was a red meat speech. It was on point. It was spot on. And it at the time when Donald Trump's in office and Mark Robinson comes to the forefront as someone who captures the hearts and minds of folks because of he has an eloquent way of stating things in very stark terms. He is politically speaking the outsider, even though he's the lieutenant governor. He's he's kind of an outsider with his own party in many ways. Even I know he has the endorsement of Phil Berger and Tim Moore, but the politics that Mark Robinson has expressed are light years away from the type of politics expressed by Phil Berger and Tim Moore. Now, that's not a slant. That's actually in his favor. Phil Berger, up until the, the entire casino debacle, had articulated and, and had a vision of North Carolina being a zero-tax uh, income tax state. He has uh, pushed back on regulatory reform and created massive regulatory reform. He has, got, he has seen the state through the prism of conservative policies and enacted many of them. After the casino debacle, that was kind of tarnished a little bit. Now, Tim Moore, very different. Tim Moore's running for Congress, and Tim has a very different uh, pathway that I think has been more mired in, in personality and, and personal differences and, and getting even and things like this. I don't want to get into the long, lengthy uh, discussion about Tim Moore. Mark Robinson has risen through the ranks and from a grassroots standpoint probably has the single best grassroots effort in the state right now. He has made statements in the past, and some would argue out of context, and some would argue that they actually weren't in, in, in they were not out of context with respect to women, Judaism, the Holocaust, things of that nature. Now, regardless of whether it was or not in context, they will be seen and amplified in the fall campaign. So the Robinson camp. And, and having had discussions, they are shoring up policy because the policies that he believes in are the conservative policies that grassroots folks and many that, that are tired of an over overzealous government agree with. Likewise, I think Bill Graham, who's an, I think Bill Graham would struggle. He's an, he's an attorney. He has a successful guy. He articulates a conservative vantage point, made famous through the gas tax, has spent a lot of money getting his name out there, but it's not moving the barometer fast enough. It's not moving the needle fast enough for him to catch up or surpass Mark Robinson. The one person who probably does have enough of that would be Dale Falwell. Now, do I think Dale Falwell will pass or pass Mark Robinson before the primary? I think the organization wasn't where it needed to be. I don't think Dale's ability to get the or not or his camp, I should say, the ability to get the message out and and tout his reforms and stuff. I just don't think that's going to happen. Plus, he made some enemies, whether he needed to or not, down in the Wilmington area and some other places where he stood firm on where he believed that the local government commission and the role of the treasurer's office should be. All of those are fair comments. None of those are are weighted and and and. They are. Dale Falwell has 20 plus years between the legislature, uh, figuring out the unemployment security stuff. And he's, he's always been someone who sees the prism of problems through solutions devoid of emotion. Dale doesn't see them as emotional. He sees them as problems that need to be solved. That's the way he is. It's different. But Mark Robinson has a way of capturing the emotion of the moment. And so there, there's going to be a difference. I know that that from a race standpoint, 
you're going to see Josh Stein's team definitely would rather run against Mark Robinson than Dale Falwell. Having said that, I think they also have serious concerns that Mark Robinson's ability to communicate with people and and to put things to bed concern them. You can see this in Josh Stein, the aspiring governor's messaging. He's messaging himself as, I can relate to you. They, they, it's very clear that the focus groups, and they do a lot of them, that the focus groups have told them that Josh Stein isn't seen as, as, as North Carolinian very well, even though he, he, you'll see it in his messaging. Hey, I, I had my kids here. I met my wife here. I grew up here. He was born in, in D.C., went to private schools, went to Dartmouth, went to Harvard. That's going to be something as a Harvard-educated lawyer. That's, that's going to be a – but he's also the, the first statewide elected Jew. And, and, and after the October 7th stuff, the anti-Semitic stuff will probably come back. They will go after Mark Robinson on that. So it's going to be, I would love to see an, an, an issue-oriented campaign where we talk about what's the role of government? What is the role of freedom? What, where do you believe that taxpayer mon- funds should go? Josh Stein doesn't believe in opportunity scholarships. He doesn't necessarily believe in charter schools. He's a big government guy. He always has been. Mark Robinson, someone who wants to see less government, wants to cut things. And I would say the people he's surrounding himself with, some of whom I've known for 20 years, are outstanding folks. There are some folks that have been, some folks that are working around that campaign. I know for a fact, highly educated folks that have been in government, been trying to cut and gut wasteful government spending for two decades. So it's going to be interesting because that is would be a Herculean, it's going to be an open seat. So it's not that it has to be defended. Cooper is still going to be very popular, but he's not popular because of accomplishments. He's popular because of avoidance. The current governor of our state doesn't take difficult stances on anything. Every now and then he'll come out like a turtle looking, you know, wandering around. But he doesn't really. The only thing he can stake his claim to is that he expanded Medicaid. That's it. But you but even that, if I were to interview 20 people in the street, they may have a positive opinion of our of our governor, but they have no idea what he stands for, what he's done. And he's been in office for since the 80s. He's been in office for nearly 40 years. And, and, and yet you cannot, if I interviewed you, all of you listeners, you couldn't tell me what this governor stands for. Other needs, you probably couldn't even tell that he's a Democrat. He is. But if you, and if you follow his Twitter feed, it's, it's very, it's very, I don't know, chocolate chip cookies and milk. It is. He's Mr. Rogers in politics. And I liked Mr. Rogers. He's a likable guy. But he doesn't have that kind of edge. Josh Stein is going to have to define right now what I think Josh Stein is trying to make himself relatable to North Carolinians, having been raised in wealth, raised in privilege, raised in Chapel Hill, raised in Dartmouth and Harvard, raised in a way that insulated him from most of North Carolina. And he's going to be running against someone who can relate to everyday people, who's going to be attacked. He's going to be attacked because of his business. He's going to be attacked. And they've got to be careful attacking Robinson because if they go after him too hard, they're going after someone who we all can relate to that has aspired and tried and failed and come back and made mistakes and admitted them and moved forward and, and, and kept jockeying to try to get ahead and work. He never gave up. Josh Stein hasn't had that real challenge. Josh Stein hasn't had two. His family had, and again, I'm not putting this down, but he, he, he had many avenues where he didn't have to do 24-7 stuff. He had a pathway to politics. It was very easy to get through. So that's kind of an update from yesterday. Much more to go. Uh, We'll talk about male pregnancy on the other side of the break. One of many things.
Welcome back. I pre- by the way, I appreciate you folks on Twitter. I, in the break, someone said, wait a minute. I've been looking. What do you find likable about Roy Cooper? And, and I was like, look, my, I, I said it. By, by all that I can tell, seems to be a, a good father and uh, a, a good husband. So I can't. I, there's nothing personal there. I completely, his policies, his actions, uh, it is, it is, if you didn't elect someone to be your governor and there was just, if you had elected, I don't know, spot your dog, whatever. If you had elected a dog to, that doesn't sound to me. I like dogs. So I, I say this with an affinity for dogs. If you had elected a Dalmatian or Doberman, I, maybe not a Doberman. I'm trying to think of the, the right temperament for dog. Anyway, elected a dog to be governor of the state and let it inhabit the governor's mansion for the past seven plus years you would know more about the dog than you do this governor because it would be far more interesting to have a dog in the governor's mansion. And from a policy standpoint, there really wouldn't be any different. The, 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 the budgets would have been passed by the, the, the legislature, by the Republicans. It would have been, there would have been an aid to veto it. He could have, the dog just could have stepped on it with a paw print and approved it. Uh, Medicaid expansion may or may not have happened because ultimately it was the Republicans that pushed that through. So there's not a big difference between the current governor and you know any breed of dog that might have been there for eight years. A cat would have been more difficult to take care of. But the dog, okay. Now, having said that, I want to get to, let's let's move broader. Because when th- it's, it's so funny when things would happen with a Republican president or a Republican somewhere, the media would rush to ask. I remember they would go ask Pat McCrory stuff about, you know, different things that would happen in D.C. when he was governor. And so I used to say that all the time. Go ask Governor Cooper. And they're like, why would you do that? He's the state, he's the, he's the uh, governor of the, why would you do that? Well, you did it to McCrory. Why wouldn't you do it to Cooper? It's the same thing. So when it comes to the situation in Texas, which we will discuss, when it comes to the situation abroad or it comes to the economy, these things with Biden, uh, no one no one ever asks Cooper how he feels. And they won't because they, the, Cooper doesn't know what it's like to have a, a tough media at all. His staff has got it made. So let's go internationally. The Biden administration struggling with its own friendly media. The stuff that Joy Reid said yesterday, I can't play it on air. It was pretty bad. But Rand Paul, the senator from Kentucky, when we're looking at the situation in the Middle East, it is an absolute, it's a mess. And he asked the correct question. And I'm going to go back and play two sound clips, but let's go to what Rand Paul said. He put out there, the media is clamoring to know what Biden will do to punish Iran or its proxies for killing our soldiers. The question not being asked is what Biden could have done to prevent the tragic deaths of three of our soldiers in Jordan. And that's where a lot of this comes from. And that's what we should be talking. We don't we don't when Trump was in office, there was a lot of prevention that took place. Isolation of North Korea, diplomatic relations, at least with Russia. They they stayed in place. The Chinese, there was communications there. And even on the Saudi Arabia was helping with the Israeli situation, normalizing relations with the Middle East. And it all went to hell in a handbasket when when the very weak guy who's been in office for 40, 50 years accomplished nothing. So, again, what could we have done to prevent it? So the Daily Wire has it, and this is out there, but they asked John Kirby, you know, a, a spokesman for the for the president. You know, how does Biden respond to critics calling Biden's policy of uh, doctrine a doctrine of appeasement? Is the president's response to Republican critics 
or of the mind that this attack was the result of perceived weakness. For instance, the chairman of the House uh, Armed Services Committee said that President Biden's fear of escalation has morphed into a doctrine of appeasement. They can speak for themselves. That's obviously not the way uh, we see this. Uh. That's not the way we see this. It's, it is, has been a doctrine of appeasement. We've been attacked 80, 90, 110 times in that theater of operations, and it has been a doctrine. You allowed a Chinese weather balloon to fly across the entire U.S. to get shot, off, shot down off the coast of Myrtle Beach. You allowed it to, to go across the entire continental U.S. before you shot it down. And you, you wonder why people think that you have a policy of appeasement. And they say, well, we just don't see it that way. It's like, what color is the sky in your world? So then they had another one out there when they had a uh, they had a Pentagon spokesperson about the U.S. deterrence. Has the U.S. deterrence failed? And so this is what uh, this is what they had to say on that one. The most direct, the most deadly uh, when it comes to what has happened in the Middle East to U.S. troops since October 7th. Looking at this and, and more broadly, have U.S. deterrence policies failed? I mean, how will the president's response be different this time? Well, look, what we saw last night, uh, what we saw yesterday was uh, lethal action that impacted our service members. And that's something that uh, weighs heavily on this building, that weighs heavily on the secretary. Um, our thoughts and prayers are certainly with those service members and their families. Um, but when you look at the wider region, when you look at what's happening in the region, we know tensions are high, but the conflict that's happening between Israel and Gaza has been contained to Gaza. And we have seen multiple attacks um, on our service members in Iraq and Syria. In other words, they, they don't they just talk endlessly. She just rephrased the question as an answer. It's been contained largely to Gaza. No, it's not. And we've seen attacks on other but no, our policies are working. They're not working. Appeasement isn't working because they're not afraid. They're not afraid of consequence. The Iranians know that Joe Biden is not going to launch an attack inside Iranian's border. So they can continue using the money that John Kerry and Joe Biden freed up, the, the tens of billions of dollars that they funneled over to all of their proxies to attack Israel and U.S. interest. Even the Europeans are like, oh, we're not sure what we're going to do. Nobody knows what they're going to do. And they've seen what's happening in Ukraine, which is an un, just an unmitigated mess as well. So right now, our, our doctrine, our, the projection of U.S. strength is, is not there. There's not a projection of strength. There's a, there's a projection of confusion. There's a projection of, what well, I don't know what we're going to do. There's a, a projection of unsuredness that is transpiring and taking place. And that's a dangerous, dangerous place. There's, there are, even our allies are unsure of what we're going to do in spite of protestations to the contrary. I love George's choices for music. I have no input in them. They're his, I guess, and I appreciate them. So uh, appreciation to George. If you would like to get in on the conversation, give us a call at 704-570-1110. 704-570-1110. Whether it's something I said, something on your brain, Whatever it is, here at News Talk 1110-993-WBT, we allow all, well, all perspectives within reason because, you know what, the issues are on our side. 
And I'm your guest host, Chad Adams. I sound a little bit different than Pete. If you've said my radio, it's not your radio. It's me. It's the host. Uh, Pete, good friend, good guy. And uh, I think we both got our start in the same area. We both started at WWNC years ago up there in Asheville, North Carolina. And, well, Pete's there in Mecklenburg County. So, anyway, appreciate you guys being a part of the show today. Uh, To get kind of back to, you know, we were talking about Governor Cooper, and I, I appreciate what someone said. What's there good about him? Well, he seems to be a good husband, father. But on the issues, there's really not a, a difference between your, your your family pet and Cooper because he's not really accomplished anything. Josh Stein, who has been the AG, who is is has been giving a golden ticket, so to speak, to advance himself up to the governor's mansion if he can get through uh, through the election this fall. It remains to be seen, but he's very concerned about being able to relate to 99 counties. He relates very well to Orange County, Chapel Hill, and certainly to the downtown areas of Raleigh, Charlotte, and probably Asheville and Wilmington. But outside of those areas, he can't really relate. I loved it when he posted a picture of him petting a cow, and that's probably the only time he's been anywhere near a cow. And and to, to act like that he's connecting to North Carolina, it was just kind of funny to me. And then we went on to talk about what's happening in the Middle East and how Rand Paul said, why haven't we looked at what we're doing to deter these kind of things rather than to respond. And I think that the president's approach uh, on the border has been lackluster. And you see, you see the result of, of the type of appeasement that we've gotten from, from the Southern border through the economy, even on the economy, just to spend willy nilly and forgive student debt, these kind of things that have done nothing to help build. I think a lot of States cutting taxes has helped and it helped stop some of the bleeding, but the inflationary numbers are what they are. I, Heck, I went to a fast food restaurant, and and you've heard this before, but I literally had this happen. My wife and I went and got two burgers and two drinks, not even fries, not a combo or anything like that, just two burgers, two fries. It was $17, and I I just thought it was interesting. It wasn't like these were extraordinary burgers or anything, but that inflate, you go to the grocery store, and what used to be you know $25 or $30 is now $40, $50. These inflationary things are taking a toll. When you see gas and you're like impressed that it drops down to two sixty eight, and you're glad, but it still peaks up over $3. And, and this has an erosive effect on everybody's bottom line. And, you know, how do you get out of that? Because we continue to keep our, you know, keep our focus on the wrong targets. So the world is much dangerous now than it was four years ago. The economy is much worse now than it was four years ago. We were rebounding out of the COVID economy. The southern border's worse than it was four years ago, and I think that's going to be the operant phrase you're going to hear uh, throughout. Now, let me throw one in. I wanted to save this to the end of the show, but it's killing me to not talk about it. And, and so, uh, I shoot, I don't want to. I do want to talk about it, but it's it's more than a segment. It's a great piece, and it's about. Ugh! And I, I will get to it. I promise I will. And it it, it is uh, it is about men and pregnancy. Right now, though, Tom, thanks for calling in today. What's on your brain? Okay, uh, the guy that's running for governor, uh, the black guy, Robinson and everything. Mark Robinson. Mark Robinson. I I really feel that he is not qualified to be governor because he says a lot of atrocious things, not only about the Jews, and I'm a black man, but he says things about uh, people of the uh, transgender, uh, uh, gay and whatnot, and and this stuff is on record. I'm not uh, making it up, and you've heard it, and I've heard it. And people like that, like him, I don't care what color he is, but he's black, they they don't deserve to be governor. So it's my prayer 
that the Republicans as well as independents and Democrats will definitely not vote for Mark Robinson. I don't care if he's been semi-endorsed by Donald Trump or the Pope or anybody. He does not deserve, deserve to be governor. He does not represent the people. Well, Tom, don't don't get off the phone. Stay with me for a second. Uh, first of all, so he hasn't been endorsed by Donald Trump. That there's no semi-endorsed. There's no endorsed. You either are endorsed. It's kind of like being pregnant. You are or you're not. It's not a. It's not a. So, second of all, do you he, consider he, he yourself? Say that again. Uh, I said you're either pregnant or you're not. So he has not been endorsed by Donald Trump. It's not kind of. He hasn't been endorsed. That's Let me ask you though. Where do your politics lie? Do are you inclined to vote for a Republican or Democrat? I'm inclined to vote for the person with the best record. I, I'm, I'm not one of those Democrats that's dead, a uh, yellow dog, uh, whatever we call it, when votes Democrat just because you're Democrat. I vote for the person and the character. And I'm a minister, and I'm definitely uh, uh, not uh, in favor of some things that are happening in, in the world. But at the same time, everybody has a right to exist and uh the stuff that he, Mark is saying, I, I just don't agree with him. And uh, it, it doesn't. If a person is a good person, it doesn't matter whether they're Democrat. The labels don't matter. So, but I'm saying, if 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 a Republican were there instead of Mark Robinson, would you support a Would you support a Republican against a Democrat? I guess is what I forget. Mark Robinson for a second. Would you find yourself? Would I, would I support a Republican if Mark Robinson wasn't running? Is that what you said? Yes, sir. I would support the person of values like Josh Stein, and I'm not just saying that, but I've watched him as, 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 like he's taken on these big drug pharmaceutical companies and done a wonderful job for Democrats, Republicans, and people. I look at what a person does, not like Martin Luther King says, look at the content of their character, not the color of their skin. But uh, a person asked me a long time ago, uh, I used to be in politics and had defeated them. <laughs> Uh, and they said, what do you think about Mark Robinson? Rather than disparage him, I said, he's done good to become a lieutenant governor. I said, would not vote for him, but him being a black man, he's done well. But when later on, when I hear stuff that he's saying, it's just not good. I, I, I don't, I don't well, I Tom, think. Yes, Tom, sir. can you hear me okay? I have a question for well, you. Sure. So you're, you're a minister, and I appreciate you sharing that. And obviously that, that comes with some presumptive set of values. And you mentioned that you like Josh Stein. And I've got to ask it because that you kind of opened the door a little bit for me. And I'm not being critical. I'm asking your opinion. The abortion issue would seem to be one that, as a minister, would be would be important to you. Uh, am, I, am I correct in that? You're breaking up. But say it really loud one more time. Do you – But so the issue of abortion for you, you said you liked Josh Stein. Does the issue of abortion on demand with Josh Stein concern you? I think that uh, things like that should be left between a woman and her doctor. And if Josh Stein uh, agrees with that, then I'm with him. But that's a private personal matter. state has no business interfering with uh, things like that. Do you believe that abortion should be allowed up and until almost birth, nine months? It's not what I believe. Now, the Bible says thou shalt not kill. I just tell you I was a preacher. So it's not what I think about it. It's not what uh, my church thinks about it, but I, I'm a Christian. I believe it's what God says about it. Okay. Okay. Tom, I appreciate you calling in and being a part of the broadcast today, all right? We got to run. Thank you.
Thank you so much. Right now, I need to kick things up to get ready to kick off hour number two here on the Pete Callender Broadcast. Stay tuned.